Taylor Swift has broken shark history by becoming the first artist to have her entire top 10 on the Hot 100. There has been no greater week in the 64-year history of the Billboard Hot 100 songs chart than the one Taylor Swift has had, as she becomes the first artist ever to capture the entire top 10 of the chart in a single week. As of September 2021, Swift is the only artist to have achieved 9 of the Hot 100's top 10 positions for a week, surpassing Drake. With Antihero launching at No. 1, Swift becomes the ninth artist in her career to lead the Hot 100 chart. There are 10 songs in the Hot 100's top tier from Swift's new album Midnights. The album was released on October 21st on Republic Records, and it's shot to No. 1 on the Billboard 200 albums chart with the biggest week for a new album in 7 years. In addition, Swift also surpasses Drake and the Beatles for the most titles from the top of the Hot 100 in a single week for a record-breaking week, as her monopoly over the top 10 bests both those acts, each of whom dominated the top 5 for a week in each of 2021 and 1964. Meanwhile, as Swift adds 10 new Hot 100 top 10 seconds, she now boasts the most top 10 seconds ever recorded by a female act in the chart's history, surpassing Madonna's 38 top 10 seconds. Among all acts, Swift trails only Drake, who has 59 top 10 seconds in the chart's history. Aside from that, Midnight's is the first album to ever have as many as 10 Hot 100 top 10s, surpassing Drake's certified Loverboy's 9 top 10s from 2021 by a wide margin. In order to produce the Hot 100, Billboard has combined streaming, radio airplay, and sales data from all genres across the United States. Swift had an unprecedented week on the Hot 100, and here's a quick rundown of what happened. Taking a look at the song's official streams, radio airplay, and sales in the United States during the tracking week of October, 21 minutes 27 that led to their short debuts, Swift is on a clean sweep of the Hot 100's top 10. Taking over the entire top 10 of the Hot 100 for the first time ever, with Lana Del Rey at No. 4, Swift is able to pass Drake, who took 9 out of the top 10, all but No. 6, on the chart dated September 18, 2021. As 9 songs from his album Certified Lover Boy reached the top of the Billboard 200 this week, led by Way Too Sexy, featuring Future and Young Thug at No. 1, the album opened the top to chart at number 1. On the other hand, Swift has passed Drake and the Beatles as the artist with the most titles from the top of the Hot 100 in a single week. Previously, the Beatles held number 1 to 5 on the chart dated April 4, 1964, while Drake held number 1 to 5 on Sept. 18, 2021. As a recap of Swift's 9 Hot 100 No. 1 songs spanning a decade and a half, here are a few highlights. We are never ever getting back together, 3 weeks at no. 1. Beginning Sept. 1. 2012. Shake it off, 4 weeks. Beginning Sept. 6. 2014. Blank Space, 7 weeks. Beginning No. 29. 2014. Bad Blood, Feet. Kendrick Lamar, 1 week. June 6, 2015. Look What You Made Me Do, 3 weeks. Beginning Sept. 16. 2017. Cardigan, 1 week. Og. 8. 2020. Willow, 1 week. Deck. 26, 2020. All Too Well, 1 Week, Nov. 27, 2021. Anti-Hero, 1 Week to Date, Nov. 5, 2022. Statistically, Swift is one of 16 acts with 9 or more Hot 100, No. 1 Second. And one of 7 solo women, joining Mariah Carey, 19, Rihanna, 14, Madonna, 12, Whitney Houston, 11, Janet Jackson, 10, and Kiki Perry, 9. The Beatles lead all acts with 20 Hot 100, No. 1 Second. The chart-topping launch of Anti-Hero, the 64th single to enter the chart at No. 1 follows the chart-topping debuts of Shake It Off, Cardigan, Willow, and All Too Well, which all debuted at the top of the Hot 100. 
As a result of this latest entry, she has tied Ariana Grande for the most no one entrances among women globally. According to the Hot 100 charts, Drake leads the way with seven no one debuts, followed by BTS, Grand, Taylor Swift, and Justin Bieber. Swift is the first artist to have charted atop the Billboard 200 and Hot 100 simultaneously as many as four times as a result of Midnight's and Anti Hero. There was a time when Swift was the first to launch with such a double when Folklore and Cardigan topped the Billboard 200 and Hot 100 charts, and she repeated defeat with Evermore Willow Red and All Too Well. The only other act with multiple simultaneous starts on the surveys is Drake, with two such starts. On both the streaming songs and digital song sales charts, Swift holds the entire top 10 spot on the same scale as she does on the Hot 100. As a result, Swift is the first artist to have reached the top 10 on all three charts in the same week. No other artist ever had previously managed to sweep the top 10 on the Hot 100 or digital song sales charts in a single week, and only Drake had done so on streaming songs. Antihero debuts at No, one on streaming songs with the biggest streaming week for a song in 2022, passing Jack Harlow's first class. There has not been a song with more weekly streams since Drake's Way 2 Sexy surged in with 67.3 million streams. There is no doubt that Swift's sixth streaming song number one is another milestone in her career, tying Bieber for the second most after Drake's 14. As far as digital song sales are concerned, Taylor Swift's question debuts at No, one marking her 24th number one on the charts. Adding to the success of Question was the fact that on the last day of the charts tracking week, both the original and instrumental versions were available for sale in Swift's web store for 69 cents each. Jeweled, the new number four on the digital song sales chart, was also available for 69 cents. It should be noted that Swift's songs in the Hot 100's top 10 were streamed in such a large number that all 10 would have ranked in the region even without any short points from sales or radio airplay coming from them. Antihero, the first single from Swift's upcoming album Midnight's, debuts at No. 13 on Radio Songs, the highest position for a debut this year and Swift's best opening rank among 45 careers so far. During its first full week of release, the song placed at No. 11 on the Adult Pop Airplay chart, No. 13 on Adult Contemporary, and No. 16 on Pop Airplay after having been available for one week. It is noteworthy that Swift now has the second most Hot 100 Top 10 seconds among women, with 40 after tying Michael Jackson, and she jumps ahead of Madonna, who claims the most top 10 seconds among women, the Beatles, and Rihanna in terms of top 10 seconds on the chart. On the Hot 100 chart dated August 30, 2008, Swift made her first appearance on the top 10 with her single change. The most Billboard Hot 100 top 10 seconds have been. The same timeline was followed by Drake, who earned his first of his record 59 top 10 seconds in July 2009 and most recently ranked in the bracket this August, which is similar to Swift's. With its short entry, Swift's Midnights became the first album to earn as many as 10 top 10 seconds on the Hot 100, passing Drake's certified lover boy, which landed 9, likewise all coming the same week that the set was ranked at the top of the Billboard 200 chart. It was in 2014-15 to 15 that Swift ran up a personal best 5 Hot 100 top 10 seconds from a single album, 1989. In the case of Janet Jackson, she has 3 albums that have each yielded at least 5 Hot 100 top 10 seconds, while Drake and Swift are the only acts with at least two such albums. The lyrics No on the Beach includes a line that Jackson plays into the success of Midnight, I'm all for you like Janet. Swift co-wrote and co-produced Antihero with Jack Antonoff. In fact, Swift has co-written every one of her nine Hot 100 No, One Second, as well as produced three of her hits as Antihero follows Look What You Made Me Do and All Too Well. This is Antonoff's third Hot 
Shot 100 Nope. One is a co-writer following Look What You Made Me Do and We Are Young, featuring Janelle Monet. The latter led for six weeks in 2012 just for fun. Aside from that, Antonov also adds a third no. One to his resume as a producer, all talent with Swift after Look What You Made Me Do and All Too Well. As Snow on the Beach debuts at No. 4 on the Hot 100, Lana Del Rey featured on the song, lands her highest Hot 100 placement yet. She scored one prior top 10 hit with Summertime Sadness, featuring Cedric Gervais in September 2013 at number 6. Antihero is the third Hot 100 No. One with Hero in its title, and the first since Mariah Carey's Hero in 1993-94. Swift dominates the Hot 100 seconds top 10, and Sam Smith and Kim Petras unholy falls to number 11 a week after it ascended to the summit. It was the most streamed and top-selling song not by Swift in the tracking week, while boasting a 23% gain to a 26.7 million radio audience. So, this video is in response to a question someone asked on Reddit. They asked why did people go crazy for Taylor Swift's Midnight? Is it just catchy as hell or what? So I thought yes, I'll do a video about that. I'm not a hater by any means, and I actually do root for her because it's nice to see other women be so successful. Especially women over 30 in a field that's so youth obsessed. So I don't begrudge her being on top at all. But the truth is, I can never quite get into the music, and this album is no exception. Yet it's her most commercially successful project yet, and a lot of critics are praising it. I have this rule about dessert, I can't get my favorite one that hits the spot 100%, because then I'll overeat. I can only buy a dessert that's maybe a 7 out of 10, because then I can eat a little and then put it down without a struggle. But any less than that and it won't serve its purpose, I won't be satisfied. So 7 out of 10 it is, that's what Taylor Swift is to me. She's good enough dessert. Not one single song of hers ever hit the spot 100%. There's always some corny ass lyric that ruins the song, or a melody that sounds like everything she's written before. And I'm bored. It's just all so unremarkable. What's the big deal? I will say that once in a while, she will deliver a damn good lyric that I think is really interesting. I loved leaving like a father running like water, and read the album had some goodies. But the goodies are always like a needle in a haystack of mediocrity. So it's not that I necessarily think that she isn't talented, it's more that to me she seldom chooses to challenge herself to really flex that talent. She works a lot, but creatively she coasts. Sometimes I think that sure, we love extraordinary artists. But one thing we love even more than actual talent is to have our own mediocrity mirrored back to us. I feel like Taylor Swift is so huge not because she's extraordinary, but because she so perfectly encapsulates the voice of the lowest common denominator. Am I wrong? What's so great about Midnight's music isn't always about being deep. Her music is good because she has a gift for storytelling and makes highly emotional songs that resonates with a huge number of people. And I'd argue lots of songs on that album are quite deep and intelligently designed. Take Epiphany for example. She compares the experience of a soldier in World War II to the struggle of healthcare workers and those dying in isolation during the pandemic. Just one single minute to sleep, but you dream of some epiphany, just one single glimpse of to make some sense of what you've seen. Hold your hand through plastic now, doc I think she's crashing out, and some things you just can't speak about. The song ever more perfectly characterizes depression for me and really helps to uplift me during bad mental health days. I had this feeling so peculiar that this pain wouldn't be for evermore. Or how about Seven? A beautiful story of two childhood friends dreaming of running away because the other's house is haunted. Your dad is always mad and that must be why. And I think you should come live with me and we can buy pirates. Then you won't have to cry or hide in the closet. 
also definitely a line that resonates with LGBT youth. She characterizes loss of a loved one beautifully on Marjorie. I couldn't listen to this song without crying after my grandpa passed but something about it was healing. Not to mention the haunting way she samples her grandmother's opera singing at the end of the song after saying and if I didn't know better I think you were singing to me now. I should have asked you questions. I should have asked you how to be. Asked you to write it down for me. Should have kept every grocery store receipt. Cause very scrap of you would be taken from me. Watched as you signed your name Marjorie. All your closets of backlog dreams. And how you left them all to me. What I didn't stay dead. You're alive in my head. The song This Is Me Trying perfectly characterizes feelings of self-loathing, depression and overcoming addiction. They told me all of my cages were mental. So I got wasted like all my potential. And my words shoot to kill when I'm mad. I have a lot of regrets about that. I was so ahead of the curve. The curve became a sphere. Fell behind all my classmates then I ended up here. Pouring out my heart to a stranger but I didn't pour the whiskey. Our music is full of emotions and stories universal to the human experience. And if that means it's not deep to you then I suppose we just have very different opinions of what makes music good. I never used to be a fan of Taylor. I mostly listen to indie records that are much cooler than mine as Taylor would say. I went to music school and thought pop music was below me like a lot of music snobs do. Then I got more into producing my own music. And I started studying pop music to learn about the songwriting and production. And it turns out Taylor Swift is one of the most skilled modern songwriters, particularly when it comes to writing hooks that will get stuck in your head. Not all of her work is inspired masterpiece level, but she consistently produces hits over what is now quite a long career as a pop singer. And that shows that she has skill as a professional in reliably doing what she does. What she does isn't for everyone, but she knows her target audience and she is prolific. Also, try listening to the long Pond Studio Sessions version of Folklore, all live acoustic versions of Folklore. If you don't love the shiny pop, I really think the lyrics and melodies of that record showcase an artist at the peak of their abilities. After hearing that, I was converted into a fan. Frankly, I don't love Midnight's. It feels like a step back for me, but I think it makes sense as a business decision. And knowing her fan base, it is not shocking that it is commercially successful. I've seen the critical reception for Midnight's be pretty middling, and I think people who aren't already big TS fans agree the album isn't really a stunner. A frustrating thing with TS's writing on this album is an overextension into her personal lore. There's a lot of references to specific events in her life that you would only understand if you knew her dating history. The prominent rumors about her love life, sexuality, etc etc. Her fanbase is rabid about speculation regarding secret double meanings and coded messages and she has started to lean into that with her name drops, poking at certain dates, etc. This is frustrating for the average listener because it's just a barrage of unintelligible references in run-on sentences amidst verses that would benefit from having half as many words. Meanwhile her core base will froth at the mouth for the national treasure-esque cryptic easter egg hunt that each song sends them on. It's not a flattering place for an artist to be. Personally, I'm a decently large fan of Taylor Swift, but Midnight's hints at a disappointing future where Taylor is more obsessed with paying her past lip service than pushing the potential of her songwriting and sound. I think most agree that Folklore was a really promising step for her and this just feels like two steps back, despite retaining her trademark earworm choruses and solid Antonoff production. Honestly, it isn't such a big deal. It's popular because Taylor Swift has carefully and impressively grown her fanbase and critical reputation over the past couple years, turning her into the biggest pop star in the world and winning over a new generation of fans. But as for Midnight's, yet it's alright. Not great, not bad. The 3AM bonus tracks are very good IMO but also not her best ever. Where I disagree with you is that I 
I do think she has some songs that are pop at its peak. Fantastic, I never get sick of them. Here are some of my faves from her that hopefully can help you see her appeal. You've probably heard them before, but give them another shot. Wildest Dreams, Fearless, State of Grace, Exile, All Too Well, Getaway Car, August, Style, Enchanted. I'm going to be honest that I don't bother to even try to listen to her music anymore. Hear me out, it's not because I hate Taylor Swift or anything about the way she does music business. I have plenty of respect for her as a commercial artist and she doesn't make bad or low quality music. The big problem for me is her hype machine and everything it touches. She has diehard fans that will absolutely slob over anything she does as if it's the most genius thing thing that's ever been written when most of it is perfectly average. And again and again I'm disappointed every time I feel obligated to check out something she did. Maybe someday I'll be able to listen to her work and enjoy it. But when someone is constantly beating me over the head about something being genius, it turns me off of it to the point where it's hard for me to put it out of my mind and just judge it for what it is. Same reason I don't go crazy for Marvel, Disney movies, etc. Even though they're always well made. My favorite musicians, bands are Frank Zappa, Gentle Giant, Fish, Billy Strings, etc. etc. I like jazz, rock, funk, blues, bluegrass divided by etc. I can also get down on some Taylor Swift. I really I really love Folklore when it came out and I have been excited for all of her album releases since then. I like Midnights but in a fun turn it up and dance around your living room while singing a long way. I feel like different music has different purposes and I'm able to not take myself so seriously that I can't see the merit in pop music. I think Midnights is a big deal commercially because Taylor has a loyal fan base that's only grown as she's aged and markets herself extremely well. I'm not in love with that part of her. I find people who complain of her only writing songs about some guy who screwed her over or simple pop music are a bit pretentious. We all have a little bit of that I think, but I can appreciate and understand why people like any art. Because there's so many people and we're all different. We all like different things for different reasons and that's cool. This was super rambly but I'll sum it up by, it's okay if you don't like Taylor Swift but it doesn't make you better than anyone else and just know that people like her music because it makes them feel something. The same reason people enjoy any art. Taylor Swift has thanked her fans for doing something mind-blowing as her new LP broke the Spotify record for the most streamed album in a single day. Swift's latest album, Midnights, was released on Friday and the album immediately broke the Spotify record for the most streamed album in a single day. Less than 24 hours later, the streaming giant announced that the album had amassed the most streams in an individual day in the history of the platform in less than 24 hours. And before the clock could even strike midnight on October 22nd, Taylor Swift broke the record for most streamed album in a single day in Spotify history. Congratulations, Taylor Swift 13, the platform's official account tweeted. Swift has responded to the news by writing the following. How did I get this lucky, having you guys out here doing something this mind-blowing? Like what even just happened? It has been described by her as the story of 13 sleepless nights scattered throughout my life and the record is a journey through terrors and sweet dreams. With this album, she switches away from the intimate indie songwriting of her two last albums, Folklore and Evermore, in favor of electronica, synth-pop and even hip-hop influenced beats on some of her tracks. As has become usual for Swift, she has once again written the majority of the album with Jack Antonoff, lead singer of the rock band Bleachers. To mark the release of the album, Swift posted a photo on her Instagram account of herself with her collaborators and specifically referred to Antonoff as her co-pilot. He's my friend for life and we've been making music together for nearly a decade, however, this is the first album we've done with just the two of us as main collaborators, she wrote. 
We'd been toying with ideas and had written a few things we loved, but Midnight's actually really coalesced and flowed out of us when our partners did a film together in Panama. Jack and I found ourselves back in New York, alone, recording every night, staying up late and exploring old memories and Midnight's past. Midnight's is a collage of intensity, highs and lows, and ebbs and flows. Life can be dark, starry, cloudy, terrifying, electrifying, hot, cold, romantic, or lonely. Just like Midnight's, let's talk about the songs on the album. Lavender Haze and Maroon are two of the album's promising starts. The former has a synth-pop bass, layered with smooth lyrics encapsulating the speculation that buzzes about the entire album. In this case, she is referring to a six-year relationship with actor Joe Alwyn, the most recent relationship in her life. There are a lot of familiar themes and lyrics in the song, such as The only kind of girl they see is a one night or a wife, and I'm damned if I do give a damn what people say. It has an exciting beat, and smoothly transitions into the maroon phase, which echoes a red arrow with more synths and sensuality, although that might also have something to do with the title of the song. In their build-up to this album's lead single, Anti-Hero, an honest and unfiltered lyrical list of all the things Swift dislikes about herself, the first two tracks of the album should have enhanced what is expected to be the album's lead single, Anti-Hero. The song could have been a refreshing take on her battle with herself in a time when self-love and positivity tutorials are pushed down people's throats with abandon. In fact, the awkward combination of upbeat pop and even more awkward lyrics such as Sometimes I feel like everybody is a sexy baby makes it pretty hard to root for the anti-hero. Featuring one of music's original sad girls, Lana Del Rey, on one of the most hyped songs from the upcoming record Snow on the Beach, we are hoping for an improvement and a dose of the stabbing pain of heartbreak. Instead, we get a Taylor Swift song, with some of Del Rey's vocals reverberating like ghosts in the background, causing the song to sound like a Taylor Swift song. It is undeniable that there is a sense of untapped potential in this song that could have easily given rise to the same kind of love spiral that she refers to in Lavender Haze, had its potential been tapped. As a result, we are left with the most basic description of what a beach with snow would look like. Weird, but beautiful. There is a break in the action with Midnight Rain, which adds a hint of maturity to Swift's usual heartbreak anthems, with a level of self-reflection that shows that yes, she is making her own name, while he wanted a bride, he stayed the same. It is also the launchpad for the second half of the album to become a revenge playlist, but this does not imply that all of it is coherent. For example, in question, Swift coos. Did you ever have someone kiss you in a crowded room, and every single one of your friends was Mac in front of you, but 15 seconds later they were clapping too? Then what did you do? It is important to know the answers to all of these questions, such as why were this man's friends laughing? Is that the reason why he broke up with her? Swift may have been inspired to write vigilante shit as a result of laughing. Think better than revenge from the Speak Now era, but with a lot more cool girl energy and a more feminist attitude, and it could be argued that Swift may have been inspired by laughter. There's something refreshing about the track, with its hard-hitting lyrics sung with a raspy, yet funny enough Lana Del Rey-esque flair. It's a palate cleanser, before returning to the upbeat energy that will surely find its way into Instagram captions for the rest of the year. In Karma, another Surefire fan favorite, which could have been the album's lead single, Swift brings out the Swift we all love, with clear influences from 1989 and Reputation, as well as Midnight's, which comes as no surprise considering the lyrics read Spider-Boy, King of Thieves. In my opinion, it is not until the 12th track of Swift's album that I finally find the sad ballad I expected, needed from her. All that you ever wanted from me was sweet nothing. 
On Sweet Nothing, she sings delicately to a pitter-patter beat resembling that of an electric keyboard, making the song sound like a melancholy lullaby set to a pitter-patter chorus. Despite the fact that her voice is soothing, her lyrics finally are able to target the heartstrings that come with the confusion and then the clarity that is associated with the end of a relationship. There are five major themes incorporated into the subject matter of Swift's Midnights, according to him, which are self-hatred, revenge fantasies, wondering what might have been, falling in love, and falling apart. In order to produce Midnights, Swift enlisted her longtime collaborator Jack Antonoff. The duo wrote 11 of the album's 13 songs together, of the remaining two, Swift wrote the track Vigilante Shit Alone and Sweet Nothing with her boyfriend, Joe Alwyn, who is credited with his pseudonym, William Bowery. As a result of her love life, she wrote the songs Lavender Haze and Snow on the Beach, the former of which is named after the phrase in the Lavender Haze from Mad Men, a period drama series. In the case of Lavender Haze, Swift wrote it after she and Alwyn had to protect their relationship from unsolicited scrutiny online from weird rumors and tabloid stuff. While in the case of Snow on the Beach, Swift wrote it about falling in love at the same time as your partner falls in love with you. It was co-written by the American singer Lana Del Rey. On the track Anti-Hero, Swift describes her insecurities, such as the fact that she feels like she doesn't feel like a person. Several bonus tracks were produced by Aaron Disner, who had worked with Swift on Folklore and Evermore as well. In the standard edition of Midnight's, all 13 tracks are included, but there are also three bonus tracks, of which two are remixes, along with the Midnight's 3AM edition, which is exclusive to streaming platforms and for digital download, which adds seven additional bonus tracks. In addition to the four tracks labeled Explicit, Del Rey provides guest vocals on the album's fourth track, Snow on the Beach. It has been described as an experimental album that mixes electronica, synth-pop and chill-out music together, departing from the alternative folk sound of folklore and evermore. The song is built around subtle melodies, emphasized rhythms, atmospheric synthesizers, drum machines, downbeats and low-key harmonies, with Swift's vocals consisting of country rhythms, rhythmic cadences and conversational cadences as she sings. It has been reported that the vocals are sometimes electronically manipulated, resulting in distortions and hiccuping effects as a result. There is also a strong influence of hip-hop and rapping present in Swift's vocal delivery in the album, as she crams lines with what is described as internal rhymes by Stereogum. According to Paste, Midnight's moves fairly effortlessly between the discotheque and a moonlit boulevard, representing Swift's version of Glassy and Splashy Poptropica. In an interview with the line of Best Fit, Swift described the production style as playful. It's well known that Taylor Swift is one of the most successful songwriters in modern history. Not only has she become a household name with her music, she's also written hits for artists like Keith Urban and Selena Gomez. Her latest album, Midnight's, features songwriting credits from a secret songwriter named William Bowery. Watch the video to find out why William Bowery wants to be a secret songwriter. Among those contributing songs to Taylor Swift's new album, Midnight's, are none other than Lana Del Rey, Zoe Kravitz, and Jack Antonoff, Taylor Swift's frequent collaborator. She has now shared the names of the songwriters who will be featured on her new album, giving us a preview of what can be expected from the upcoming era of her music. Adding one more tab to keep open in our brains, the songwriting credits for Midnight's have provided fans with an insight into the lyrical geniuses behind the album. It can be expected that some familiar names will be found in the songwriting credits, such as Tay's frequent collaborator Jack Antonoff, who has penned some of Tay's most popular songs including Out of the Woods, Lover and Look What You Made Me Do.
Taylor Swift's Midnight Songwriting Credits. A total of nine songwriters are said to be credited on Taylor's forthcoming album Midnight's, including herself, of course. There are 13 tracks that have already been announced, but Tay seems to have written only one of them entirely on her own. We will soon talk about the secret songwriter William Bowery. At the same time, Jack Antonoff makes a generous contribution to the album's songwriting credits by appearing on 11 of them. There is no doubt that Snow on the Beach, which was previously confirmed to be a collaboration between Tay and Lana Del Rey, owes its songwriting credits to the singer herself, as it clearly indicates that she wrote the song. Let's listen to what Taylor Swift says about William Bowery on their collaboration on the song Exile. But there is something about the last name Bowery, we are going to talk about that later. In addition to Tay's songwriting credits, other unexpected names have also appeared on the list, including actress Zoe Kravitz, who has written the songs Lavender Haze and Karma together with Tay. On her album's credits, Jehan Sweet, who has been known for working with some big rap stars like Drake and Travis Scott, is also listed as a songwriter and music producer who contributed to some of Zoe's songs. Jack Olin explored his music prospects with American singer-songwriter and girlfriend, Taylor Swift. According to Olwyn, he did not plan on working with Swift, but he has fallen in love with her. It came about from messing around on a piano and singing badly, and then being overheard by Swift and being like, let's see what happens if we get to the end of it together. Swift's eighth studio album, Folklore from 2020, includes the songs Exile, Betty, My Tears Ricochet, August, This Is Me Trying and Illicit Affairs, all of which he co-produced. The pseudonym William Bowery was also used by him to pen Exile and Betty. It is noteworthy that Exile reached the top 10 of the charts in several countries, including number 6 on the US Billboard Hot 100 and number 8 on the UK Singles Chart. During the 63rd Annual Grammy Awards in 2021, Alwyn was nominated for the Grammy Award for Best Pop Duo, Group Performance with his song Exile, while Folklore was awarded Album of the Year, earning him his first Grammy Award. On Swift's second 2020 album, Evermore, he, as Bowery, also contributed to the writing of Champagne Problems, Kunai Island, and the title track. In April 2022, Olwen revealed to the Wall Street Journal that his great-grandfather's first name, William Olwen, was the source of the name William Bowery, which was derived from the name of his great-grandfather. In honor of the New York City neighborhood Bowery, where he spent a lot of time when he first arrived in the United States, the last name was chosen by him to honor the composer he was. During the making of Swift's 10th studio album, Midnight's, he also co-wrote the album's penultimate track, Sweet Nothing, as Bowery as well. As has become usual for Swift, she has once again written the majority of the album with Jack Antonoff, lead singer of the rock band Bleachers. To mark the release of the album, Swift posted a photo on her Instagram account of herself with her collaborators, and specifically referred to Antonoff as her co-pilot. He's my friend for life and we've been making music together for nearly a decade, however, this is the first album we've done with just the two of us as main collaborators, she wrote. We'd been toying with ideas and had written a few things we loved, but Midnight's actually really coalesced and flowed out of us when our partners did a film together in Panama. Jack and I found ourselves back in New York, alone, recording every night, staying up late and exploring old memories and Midnight's past. Midnight's is a collage of intensity, highs and lows, and ebbs and flows. Life can be dark, starry, cloudy, terrifying, electrifying, hot, cold, romantic, or lonely, just like Midnight's. In addition to being the lead singer of the rock band Bleachers, Antonov has also been a guitarist and drummer in fun. He was previously the lead singer of the indie rock band Steel Train.
He has also worked as a songwriter and record producer with a variety of artists in addition to his work with Bleachers and Fun. Taylor Swift, Lord, St. Vincent, Florence and the Machine, Lana Del Rey, Fifth Harmony, Kevin Abstract, Carly Rae Jepsen, The Chicks, Tegan and Sarah, and Claro are some of the artists on the list. It has been said that Antonoff has had a significant impact on the sound of contemporary popular music over the past few decades. In addition to being nominated for a Golden Globe Award, Antonoff has won six Grammy Awards, including the Grammy Award for Producer of the Year in 2022. There have also been Grammy Awards awarded to him for his work with Fun, for producing Taylor Swift's albums 1989 and Folklore, for producing St. Vincent's album Daddy's Home, as well as for co-writing the title track on Mass Seduction with St. Vincent. As the youngest brother of fashion designer Rachel Antonoff, Antonoff was born in Bergenfield, New Jersey. He is the second of three children to Shira and Rick Antonoff. He is the second of three children to Shira and Rick Antonoff. While Antonoff was a senior in high school, his younger sister, Sarah, passed away from brain cancer at the age of 13 when she was a senior in high school. There has been a profound effect on Jack as a result of the event, as he has stated. My whole career has been revisiting that through a different lens. A native of New Milford, New Jersey, and a resident of Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey, he attended elementary school at the Solomon Shetch the Day School of Bergen County, New Jersey, during his formative years. As a student in high school, he and his sister commuted to Manhattan to attend the professional children's school, which was located in Manhattan. During his sophomore year of high school, in November 1998, he and some of his friends from elementary school formed a punk rock band called Outline with several other friends from elementary school. A self-titled EP was released by the band through Lifetime Records, a friend's record label, in January 2000. Antonov sang in the group for a short period of time before Eddie Wright took over on the vocal duties in early 2000. As a result of Wright's edition, the band recorded six songs, which were later released as a six-song demo in the summer of 2003. The band released an album, A Boy Can Dream, through Triple Crown Records in July 2001. At the age of 15, Antonov and his outline bandmate used a DIY guide to book shows in numerous states, including Florida and Texas, and borrowed Antonov's parents' minivan to travel around the country. It was during this tour that Outline played in venues such as anarchist bookstores, while the oldest member of the band drove because he was 18 years old. Antonov explained how this was accomplished in 2014. Half the time no one would show up or the equipment would be too fucked up to play. But that's when I fell in love with touring. The band lasted until 2002. A song Antonov wrote and produced with American singer-songwriter Taylor Swift for the 2013 film One Chance, titled Sweeter Than Fiction, has been released. It was recorded in Antonov's New York City apartment after Antonov and Swift shared a love of a particular song from a fine young cannibal song, which inspired Antonov to write the song. They brainstormed ideas by email before they started writing the song. There are three songs on Swift's fifth studio album 1989 that were written and produced by Swift and Antonov, including Out of the Woods, I Wish You Would, and the bonus track You Are In Love. In October 2014, Swift released 1989, and it became the biggest selling album in the US, 2014 after its release. In a voice memo included in the deluxe edition of 1989, Swift explains that the song I Wish You Would came from a guitar track that Antonov had recorded on his smartphone. Swift, after hearing the track for the first time, asked Antonov if she could develop it further and it eventually ended up becoming an album track after both songwriters were satisfied with Swift's work. The album won Antonov a Grammy Award in 2016 for Album of the Year. 
As part of the original motion picture soundtrack of the film Fifty Shades Darker, Swift, Antonoff and Sandu wrote the song I Don't Wanna Live Forever, the song produced by Antonoff that features Swift and Sane in the film. The song appears on the soundtrack of the film, in addition to writing and producing the number one single of Look What You Made Me Do, the duo was also a major contributor to her sixth album, Reputation, which was released on August 25, 2017. Besides Look What You Made Me Do, Swift and Antonoff also wrote and co-produced five other songs in Reputation, including Getaway Car, Dress, This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things, Call It What You Want, and New Year's Day. Taylor was the first person to let me produce a song. Before Taylor, everyone said, you're not a producer. It took Taylor Swift to tell me, I like the way this sounds. This year, Swift and Antonov co-wrote eight songs and produced 11 songs together for Swift's seventh studio album Lover, including the promotional single The Archer and the title track, which was the album's third single in 2019. In 2020, Swift and Antonov collaborated on Swift's eighth studio album, Folklore, which was released in the same year. In addition to Aaron Disner and Swift, Antonoff also serves as one of the songwriters and producers on the album, co-producing six songs and co-writing four, including the third single, Betty, which will appear on the album in the near future. Swift continued to work with him on Folklore's sister record as well as Swift's ninth studio album, Evermore, in which he co-wrote the tracks called Rush and Ivy and co-produced the latter track. During the next couple of years, Antonoff and Swift continued to work on Swift's re-recordings. In 2021, Swift and Antonoff produced four tracks for Fearless Taylor's version. Mr. Perfectly Fine, That's When, Don't You and Bye Bye Baby. Swift and Antonoff produced three tracks of Red, Babe, Forever Winter and All Too Well. A production credit for Swift's 2022 album Midnight's goes to Antonoff, who also co-wrote 11 of the 13 tracks on the album. A music video for the ninth track, Bejeweled, was also shot by Antonov. When Antonov first moved out of the family home near the end of 2012, he lived with his sister Rachel on the Upper West Side of New York City. As soon as Antonov was out of the family home, he moved to Brooklyn Heights where he lived with Lena Dunham, a girl he was dating at the time. The couple separated in January 2018. As of December 2019, he is still residing in the Brooklyn Heights apartment that he previously shared with Dunham, containing a music studio that he uses as his residence. The actor Antonov is engaged to the actress Margaret Qualley. Antonov said in June 2014 that he was desperate to have children, as he explained. It just seems like the most fun thing in the world. I've never met people who have kids who haven't looked me in the eye and been like... It's the greatest thing that's ever happened. I think it's biological. I'm 30. I'm not that young, right? I'm not like 24 or 22. I'm no longer in the phase of my life where I talk about everything as in the future. Like, I'm in the future. Antonov has spoken publicly about his struggles with depression, anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder. In his own words, he claims that hearing about others' struggles with depression made him feel not better but not alone and way less scared. As of June 2014, Antonov was seeing both a therapist and a psychopharmacologist while also taking anti-anxiety medications. Antonov has a fear of germs which has been exacerbated by a bout of pneumonia that he suffered while recording a studio album for his band Fun back in 2011. There was a recommendation from his pulmonologist to run every day, but he explained that he hates running. More than anything because it is one of the most truly boring experiences on earth. There is no doubt that music is a central part of Antonov's life, as he explained in June 2014.
I need a hobby and I don't want it to be basketball. I want it to be music. So to get away from music, I do other music. If I'm producing someone's song or writing with someone else, then doing the bleacher song or a fun song is an escape and it keeps me creative and it keeps me locked into what I want to do. If something's making me crazy, I need to go somewhere else and I don't want that thing to be yoga. In this video, I'll be giving you an inside look into Taylor Swift's song Anti-Hero with the help of Taylor herself. This is a song about not being the hero and about being seen but not being heard. It's about being the underdog and feeling like you're always being looked at, judged and looked down on, whereas on the inside you're struggling to feel like you belong. The thing is that, on a deeper level, it's about not being able to speak up when things don't seem right, when you feel like you're losing control, when you feel like you don't have any control over the life you're living. The song is about that feeling of needing to escape but not knowing where to go and the inability to do so. In spite of the fact that Taylor Swift's 10th studio album, Midnight's, was released just a day ago, the album is already proving to be a critical and commercial success. While tracks like Lavender Haze and Sweet Nothing are about love and revenge, Anti-Hero is about Swift battling against herself. It is not surprising that it has caused quite a stir online, since the song is about Swift battling against herself. Anti-Hero, the lead single from Swift's forthcoming album Midnight's, is about Swift's insecurities and anxieties in life both in the public eye and in her private life as well. This song has been described as a collision between synth-pop, neurotic image analysis, and dense lyricism that is brought together by the use of a methodical drum loop and simmering synth throughout. The track is a depressingly relatable one, as Swift deals with the fear of nothing, anxiety from everything, and doubting the ones she trusts the most. In a post to her Instagram account, Swift said that the track on the album is one of her favorites. This song really is a real guided tour throughout all the things I tend to hate about myself. We all hate things about ourselves, she said. So yeah, I like Antihero a lot because I think it's really honest. We have spent countless hours breaking down every line and phrase in Antihero as far as Swifties and pop heads are concerned. And that's not even taking into account the music video, which is filled with Easter eggs of its own. The lyrical interpretations of Taylor Swift's songs can paint a different picture depending on the person you're talking to, the app you're using, and the extent of your Taylor Swift knowledge. In order to assist anyone who isn't in the loop, we've compiled the internet's best takes on some of the most confusing lines from the movie Anti-Hero. I have this thing where I get older, but just never wiser in my life. Does old age imply maturity? Swift doesn't seem to think so. According to Twitter users with a thorough understanding of Swift lore, this is something Swift has expressed in her music for years. In the 2019 song Archer, Swift sings, I never grew up, it's getting so old. Are the similarities to that song? The first verse, a side effect of her depression is insomnia. She lies awake at night thinking of all the people she's lost and then sleeps during the day. She's scared that she hasn't changed even though she keeps getting older. She keeps making the same mistakes. There have been numerous criticisms of Taylor Swift's actions in the past, including that she has acted in a manner immature and petty after the release of her 2017 single, Look What You Made Me Do. One critic described the song as the ramblings of a teenage girl scorned and on a warpath. It's me, hi, and the problem, it's me. There is one line in the chorus that is sure to dominate your TikTok feed for the next few weeks. Depending on the perspective of the listener, everyone will have a different interpretation of the meaning behind this line. Several might read the lyric as Swift's intrusive thoughts, that she knows she's the problem and that she's actually the anti-hero in this story. She says later in the chorus, It must be exhausting always rooting for the anti-hero. 
Despite the fact that the statement is repeated later in the track, the vocals of the singer suggest that she is exhausted from always having to admit that she is the problem. Through its catchiness, Taylor is Trina downplay her struggle the way she did in the song video when she said we shouldn't feel sorry for her. We might be quirky about it, but it's deeper than that. The statement is loaded with shame, self-loathing and self-deprecation. The end of Antihero when she says it's me high and the problem she sounds mentally and physically exhausted which incorporates the entire meaning of the song perfectly. As a point of reference, on the internet, there is a running joke that for every breakup Swift has, she seems to write an album about the breakup. Throughout her career, Swift has been in a lot of relationships with celebrities and has been criticized quite unfairly and extremely for her dating life as well as for using it as material for her songs. This is probably one of the most relatable lines in the song for many people, but Twitter users are letting it be known that they don't appreciate Swift calling them out in such a manner. When Taylor said, it's me, hi, and the problem, it's me myself sabotaging side felt that. Sometimes, I feel like everybody is a sexy baby. As it stands right now, this is the line that has confused the internet the most. At first, listen, it's strange and jarring, and it just comes out of nowhere. Some social media users have defended the lyrics, pointing out that there is clarity between the line and the subsequent lyric that. And I'm a monster on the hill, too big to hang out, slowly lurching toward your favorite city. There is a commentary on the sexualization of youth and innocence in this piece. In fact, as Twitter user at Parkas Rodrigo pointed out in a tweet, the lyric Sexy Baby itself may have been a reference to this scene in 30 Rock. In the episode titled, TGS Hates Women, Liz Lemon hires a writer named Abby to join the team at TGS. However, after the meeting, Lemon accuses Abby of putting on a sexy baby act in order to attract the attention of males. Despite what one might think about whether this is or is not a direct reference, the tragic idea that men prey on young women and only value women based on their attractiveness, which in turn causes self-esteem issues in young girls trying to appease the male gaze, still persists among young women today. Reddit users in the Taylor Swift subreddit also agree. Almost 40 women here, I have quite similar thoughts. Also Sexy Baby is an actual existing concept. Google 30 Rock Sexy Baby. And watch that episode if you have time see no evil monkey it's so dead on. The whole episode. But yeah, it's really jarring to move into the older generation. Most of our culture is about the young and you're kind of lost when you realize you're not in the young anymore. And looking at our culture, I think a lot of us thought feminism would have come further but now we just see younger and younger kids sexualizing themselves and I don't know, I feel in some the treatment and demands from a woman are so much more worse. We have a world famous 18 year old young woman talking about how porn almost ruined sex for her. Also the female singers today who use the sexy baby in the girl voice and not their real voice to sing. I've got a lot to say about this. I have this dream my daughter-in-law kills me for the money. She thinks I left them in the will. The family gathers around and reads it. I am certain that this is perhaps the most talked about lyric on the entire album. I am certain that fans have remarked that there is a striking similarity between these words from the song's bridge and the 2019 film Knives Out. The imagery of a presumed will read gone wrong is echoed in the will reading scene in Knives Out. In spite of the fact that Swift's music video elaborates on what she meant by her dream, there are still some fans who have their own ideas about who her ideal daughter-in-law is. I cracked the code I have this dream my daughter-in-law kills me for the money her music is her child. Her daughter-in-law is are the people who love her child echo her fans and she thinks I left them in the willies because her fans keep on expecting things from her wild. In my opinion, it's a pretty accurate summary of the response to the album as a whole. 
these lyrics are definitely about Swift herself, but perhaps, just maybe, we the fans can be included in them as well. The album Midnight is full of songs with lyrics and melodies that are amazing to listen to. In this video, I will talk more about why and what that album is all about. When you click this video, we will go through Taylor Swift's new album Midnight and see what it's all about.